bridesmaid entrances are the stuff of legends. Ever the bridesmaid, that is my badge of honor. You feel me? I feel you. I go to weddings and baby showers every damn weekend. When are you going to give me grandkids? Talk to your firstborn about grandchildren. I don't want him procreating. No. That's terrifying. So. Yeah, nobody wants nobody that. Nobody wants that. I don't have a man or any legit prospects. What have I ever done? Am I not suitable for life? You are very suitable for life. I feel like I'm running out of time. Are you seeing anyone now? I'm seeing everyone now. It's sort of an all-you-can-eat buffet. How old are you? Please say 32 or 33. Nellie? I'm 34. Stupid. I want you to remember. They can be in Never Never Land. Never growing up, never aging. But those eggs, they are. If I don't spend 13K to freeze my eggs, I might never be able to have kids. Meanwhile, you're going to wait till you're 70 to have a baby with an influencer. That is accurate, and I'm not embarrassed about it. Pictures. What's new with you, Nellie? I'm thinking about getting my eggs frozen. That's amazing. Maybe I should have a baby shower. <laughs> but you're not having a baby. What if I screw this up? I don't even know if I want kids. I've seen Euphoria. You're not going to screw this up. You're buying time. Someone who's good enough for you is hard to come by. I'm either going through a renaissance or amidst the worst crisis of my lifetime. Here we go. Down here, you look like I'd say... Virgin? <laughs> Definitely not. Okay. Welcome to Killer Casting. I'm your host, Lisa Zambetti. I'm a casting director for CBS's Criminal Minds and tons of other things, films, video games. And, you know, one of the great pleasures of doing this job is when you champion an actor. You know, you bring them in a few times for different things. You're, gonna, you're hoping it's going to click, that someday the right role with the right director is going to get an actor a job. And then maybe you cast them in like one of their first network co-star roles, even if it's a role of a crying girl who has her hands duct taped to a steering wheel of a car that she's being forced to drive with a lunatic terrorizing her from the passenger seat. Even as crazy as that role sounds, it can be very satisfying to help an actor get to that level and get that credit. But you know what's even more satisfying is when you see that actor go from there and take a giant leap forward and take their career by the reins and now oh my god they're writing they're directing and they're the freaking star of a feature film produced by Lionsgate which is such a big deal and the person I'm talking about is here today and I want her to talk about her journey and how she pulled this motherfucking thing off please meet actor writer director of the new movie Scrambled one of my favorite redheads Leah McKendrick hey girl oh my god I'm it's insane right now, Lisa. It's very like overstimulating. Like I'm, this is the whole part. I just go, how does Leo do it? How does J-Lo do it? How does, I mean, we know Will Smith and Tom Cruise. They're like the kings of shaking hands, kissing babies. I'm just, it gives me so much 
extra respect for them because it's a lot. To yeah, hang. you're in this cycle right now where it's promotion, promotion, promotion. We're trying to get the movie as many butts and seats as possible and see where it goes from there. So it's a lot of pressure. And so I really, I'm very grateful that you took the time to speak to little old me. Oh, no, I'm so happy to speak to you. You're my people. I wanted to talk to you about oh, that. God. And I'm your so people, you. and your people are listening right now because a lot of actors listen to this show, and a lot of writers, aspiring writers, screenwriters. And I just want to sort of, first of all, just tell us what Scrambled is, what the movie is, and your character Nellie. What is who is she? So I froze my eggs in 2021, and I found the process to be quite existential, quite dark at times, and also ultimately very empowering, very liberating. I reframed it as an act of self-love and I wrote a film about it and I play a sort of heightened version of myself in some ways. Nellie is your quintessential ever the bridesmaid and she goes to weddings and baby showers every weekend and then the world is telling her your eggs are dying. You, She just went through a breakup and it's time to figure out your life and your fertility and she decides to freeze her eggs and the same time goes on a throwback tour of visiting old loves from the past to mm-hmm. see if any of them are worth a second shot. And you are so astonishing in this film. I'm so proud of you, which sounds very condescending. But you... No, it's not. I love that phrase. People say that they're like, I don't want to sound condescending. And it makes it, I actually, you know what I consider condescending? I'm so impressed. Yeah. I find that phrase, I don't love that, but I love I'm so proud of you or I don't know you, but I'm proud of you. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Because as you say, Nellie is this character that we've been, all of us have been Nellie at some point or our sister has or our best friend has. You know, she's really a, a real free spirit who has not taken the linear path to her life. You know, she has not gone in the corporate track. She's a creative person and she's enjoyed living in LA and living the life. But you know, like so many people, you get, you bump up against these milestones, right? Like, when are you getting married? When are you having a baby? When are you getting serious with your career? When are you going to buy a house? All of these milestones that no matter what you do, eventually they, you have to look at those in the mirror and answer those questions or don't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of pressure. It comes from your parents. It comes from your, I mean, it just, even when people are trying to impose that pressure, the messaging is everywhere, right? You're going to weddings, you're going to baby showers, you're, it's so um, traditional to celebrate those types of milestones, to, to celebrate the way that we, the metric by which we measure adulthood is mm. houses, career, a salary, a raise, a, you know, you move mm-hmm. up and you're at work and you get that corner office. When you get married, engaged, a baby, a dog, another baby, all of that, right? But what about when you're in Hollywood? And it, sure, we can celebrate each other's like roles and when we're on TV. But sometimes for me, it felt like Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always kind of unemployed. I just did something and now I'm unemployed again. And I did another thing and now I'm unemployed again. And it, it, it felt like I was a little bit in round and round on the yeah. I want to I want to get into how the movie come to to get made. But for me, Leah, you know, look, I'm a mom. I've got twin boys, but even I've been on the journey that your character goes on. And I love how explicit you are in the film. You really I can't even think of another film that really shows you the process 
Uh, so I had twins that my husband and I decided to try and we got pregnant like within a month all naturally. And I'm like, hey, this shit is uh-huh. easy, man. This is yeah, easy. No problem. And twins, yeah. are you kidding? Wow. Yeah. Seriously. So- yeah, and I and I was so grateful, and they they were born healthy and everything. But like you know, two years into that, you start to kind of get the bug again. Like I kind of wanted a big family, so let's try again. Two years later, I could not catch. I I could not get knocked up by wow. anything, and I didn't think I was that old. But like your age, but about your age in in the film, and it's it just is so you you feel so vibrant you know you feel the ah. same but your body has literally said sorry that's it you know there are no more that's... gumballs in your you know <laughs> your womb um, yeah and so wow. I went through that and of course I I'm being very selfish like I already had two beautiful healthy children wanting more when some people can't have biological children that's a big you know ask. But I went through that process of the injections and the timing, and it, it consumes your freaking life. Your and especially the trigger shot. Oh my! God, you know the pressure to take. You have to take this shot at the exact minute that the doctor tells you to, and you're by yourself. It's not like anybody's doing it for you. It, the pressure was unbelievable, and then the outcome for me wasn't didn't produce what we had hoped, and that's fine. But I mean, I was just taken back. I was I was amazed at how emotional it was for me to watch you going through that process. Can you talk about that? Thank you for sharing that, Lisa. I didn't know that story. I mean, epic and heartbreaking and beautiful and true. So true. It's like all so real. I mean, my process was a bit different and I was alone and single and dating on the apps and it was just kind of a shit show. And I just felt like kids felt a million miles away. Mm-hmm. Like I can't even envision that right now. I don't have an, a man that I even, I, I just, it does nothing has I don't, anything built. You know, I think about my parents, my dad already had, they already had a house, you know, mm-hmm. my dad had a big career. It's just, I was like, nothing like they were already married. Nothing like this has happened for me. And so I said, I'm going to I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to spend all this money. Mm -hmm. I'm going to buy myself some time. And I I thought, maybe I'll write a movie about it. And that's how I can justify spending all this money. Right. But the process, it pulls all the layers off. That's what all of the armor came off for me. I couldn't lie to myself. You know, you're halfway through, you're injecting yourself with hormones and you're really looking at yourself and you're going, how have I not built anything? How, I, how have I, the only thing that I have built or even begun to build is a career. And I felt really kind of resentful of my dreams because I've always known what I wanted to do. I always knew, my mom said that at two years old, I was talking about Hollywood. I'm going to go to Hollywood. I'm going to be a singer. I'm going to be an actress. And my mom was like, who told her about Hollywood? <laughs> I always knew. And I felt so resentful that my North Star has always been these dreams because I went, what about all this other stuff? Why was nobody telling me you have to be worried? You have to be looking. You have to be putting in some effort into this other stuff. And then it was all coming to, to a painful, painful point where I just I'd failed in one area by putting all of my eggs, pun intended, into my career And I didn't feel that I had enough to show for that either. Mm -hmm. So I just felt like, wow, I've just kind of feel like I've been working my ass off all these years. And yet 
here I am spending 14K to freeze my eggs because I don't have a partner. I don't have a house. I don't have a kid. I don't have anything. What do I have? So it was, it was quite dark. And then when I went through the surgery and they pulled the eggs out and the hormones start to, you know, even out, you start to level out a bit, felt deeply, deeply proud of myself mm -hmm. and amazed by what I was able to do and what my body was able to do in the way that I was able to take care of myself the way a partner would have. And in the movies, the partner does take care of you. And I thought, I'm going to make a movie where she takes care of herself. I love that. I love that so much. It's definitely a movie that you want to go see with your best gal pals and, and guy pals, too, because you're just going to relate so much. It was so great, you know, to see it in the theater with people, Leah. You know, I had the screener and a link and I was going to watch it just before we talked. And then I got an invitation to the premiere and just to see it with everybody and not only just championing you, but I think one of your producers said how deeply personal the film was for her to make, you know, and just sitting there with everyone and taking that in and receiving it. Watching it, though, with you, you are you bear it all literally in this film, <laughs> you know, which I loved. And it is this is an adult film. I don't mean an adult film, adult film, but it's a, a film for adults. And you just cast a very honest eye on what dating is and what it is to be in intimate partnerships and intimate, you know, hookups. I'm wondering if you used an intimacy coordinator because you we see everything we see. I mean, I think your nipples deserve a credit in the scroll because, you know, like, I feel like I know them intimately. They do. I should have put a credit for my nipples. <laughs> But if you want to talk to me about those scenes of intimacy and simulated sex and also why it was important for you to show her every every bump and bruise and part of your body. Well, I had done nudity. I've done some sexy stuff. And it's always with male directors. Mm -hmm. I've, I haven't had bad experiences on the sets that I did get naked or whatever. But there is a feeling afterwards you get... I get daily Google alerts of the porn sites that I'm on. You know, my body, you know, every frame of my body is on the Internet. Mm -hmm. And it, it does feel in some small way that you've lost a bit of control over and autonomy over your own body. And you can't possibly really understand what that's like until you do it. You think you get warned. You think you understand. And then years after you've done it, you're still getting yeah. And you're kind of like, wow, there's a that is not owned by me. That image of myself, of my body is owned by the Internet. And I will say, even though everyone was very careful with me, all of my male directors were very respectful and not coercive. But I don't know that I advise every young actor to do it just because they want to roll and because they want to work. And I think mine was always motivated by really wanting to work. Mm -hmm. Um, wanting to keep the engine going, keep, you know, keep moving. Oh, big studio movie. Who knows if I would ever get in a studio movie if I'm not going to get topless. So I might as well get topless, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And I'm a big proponent of doing it on your own terms. Mm -hmm. You know, for me making the movie, it was completely different experience because I'm the one, I hire the cinematographer. I get to decide how it's shot. I get to decide what is shot. I get to decide what's on the cutting room floor and what ends up. I was in a movie where I was quite naked 
and I had this very naked scene. And then I had another scene where I was fully clothed and it was this funny scene. And I didn't find out until the day before the premiere that my clothed scene had been cut from the film. So my entire role was just naked. And that was really hurtful. And I don't think that I would have taken the role if I had known that I was just going to be the naked girl in the movie. But these are the things that as an actor, you don't have control of. And as a director, you do have control of. So right off the bat, I knew that I was going to be comfortable, comfortable bearing as much or as little as I wanted to. And then I knew that with me in the driver's seat, I, in a weird way, it was almost like reclaiming my body and reclaiming my image and my naked body and not using it to be sexual. Because the nudity, my nudity of my character in the film is often, it's not sexy, you know? It's her looking at her body, the ways that it's changed. It's awkward, uncomfortable sex. She doesn't want to show her body because she's bruised and bloated, so some of the sex is very clothed. <laughs> and I just thought, you know, through my lens, I'm going, I will, I will be raw, I will be honest, and I will be respectful of me, you know, as an actor. And of course, we utilize an intimacy coordinator. I had never worked with an intimacy coordinator as an actor. And it was amazing. You know, she is so well versed in having these awkward conversations with the actors. What are you comfortable with? Are you comfortable with him touching your breast? Are you comfortable? And I, it was really important to me to make sure my male scene partners knew that I was comfortable. Because I think so much of the panic is them going, is she comfortable? Is she okay? I think they know in the back of their minds how degraded women have been historically in these types of situations. And so I think they're always aware, hyper aware of making sure that I'm comfortable. And so that was part of the process. And me saying, I have been completely naked in this film already. (laughs) Do not worry about me. I am comfortable. I cast you because you make me comfortable. I have hired everyone here because they make me comfortable. We are here to make a movie that feels honest and raw. And also, it's like, we're going to put this bouncy ball between you now. And then when you thrust, you're going to thrust into the bouncy ball, you know, and let's practice the thrusting. And me and Matt are like, okay, this feels good. All right. You know, we're laughing together. It's awkward. Buddy, it's a heat wave. We're putting on tape and it's melting off. And she's kind of get. she's like, I can go in the bathroom and help you put that on. I mean, it was like truly a life-changing experience and i wish that out of all my movies that i've ever been naked or had intimate scenes that i had an intimacy coordinator and who was can you want to shout her out yes liz lamura amazing icon so important because it's something that people kind of have made jokes about and they do skit on saturday night live about and i think it's important that it's a really it's a really important profession in fact i've taken lots of workshops with intimacy coordinators and you know they're the real deal. They're the real deal. I mean, they are like uniquely equipped for sensitivity, sensitive situations. So what was I gonna so have you ever have you directed before this film? I had done two short films and funny enough, both of them were starring me with a child. And I don't even know if that I don't even know if that was like an intentional thing. I kids, as we know, can be quite hard to direct. But in both of my films, they were like the most professional actors I've ever worked with. They were like such pros. Absolutely. But 
the second short, I was the star, but we were like on different timelines. So I half of most of the days, I think even like out of like six or seven days of shooting, I think five of the days I wasn't acting, which was amazing for me to just throw up my hair and put on a baseball cap and just be behind the camera. It's a completely different experience when you're in every scene like I am and it's scrambled. So talk to me about your relationship with your DP and how you work with a cinematographer. I mean, obviously in the scenes that you're not in, I mean, you're in basically almost every frame of this movie. So how do you tag team? How does that work? A DP is everything. A DP is doing double duty when their director is the star actor because they are your eyes in many ways. Julia Swain, my cinematographer, I met so was I knew I wanted a woman because I this kind of topic is so uniquely female. I needed that sensitivity. I needed somebody that I felt totally safe with. And I needed somebody that I could trust because I'm not watching every move of theirs. I can't. I don't have a lot of time to review material. I really only reviewed a take if I just was like, I don't know if we have it. I and I'm sure if this is translating. But generally I would just all right, moving on, you know, without mm-hmm. having to review. Your DP is your eyes in many ways. And I met with lots of different women, so many incredible women. Julia is not warm and fuzzy. And I now that I know her so well, I know that she's so funny and so lovely, but she's drier than me. I'm a little bit, I'm huggy, I'm touchy. I'm, you know, I'm loud. She's not that way. And we balance each other really well. Uh, absolutely. Really great balance. Because who was it that said this? I think my producer, Jonathan, was like, you don't want her to be huggy and place. You want somebody who's focused. and An island of calm because it's going to get yeah. real, real crazy, real, real fast. Yeah. yeah. That's her. And I think we both really had the eye on the prize. We spent a lot of time together before shooting, going scene by scene, shot listing, discussing, trying to come up with weirder stuff, more interesting stuff. How can we challenge ourselves here? How can we transition from this scene to the next scene, which was not something that was in my wheelhouse. I did not think of transitions while writing it. I had never thought of transitions at all. So that was like something she was teaching me, you know, how are we going to cut this together? And it was one of the best things that I did was hire Julia because that was one of the easiest, most rewarding relationships. Some of my favorite scenes, Leah, are when you're just by yourself in your apartment in, in, being very uninhibited and just in a natural way that we are in our private, intimate moments. And I thought it was captured just so unselfconsciously. It's something I really admired about it. And, you know, it's you. I mean, obviously, she's watching you. She's capturing that. You know, you are not behind the lens when you are in the middle of your bedroom laying on the floor crying. You know, you're. And so you, there's got to be a lot of trust there. Did you want more coverage than she did? Or did she want just one more take? I mean, how did you do that? Me and Julia want to shoot all day, all night. We never want to stop. Eden, my first AD, is the one going, you guys got to stop. And we're whispering. We had this running joke that was, don't tell Eden. That was our running joke. <laughs> don't tell Eden. We were like, we're going to slip in one more little. Don't yell cut. Don't tell Eden. We were just always trying to get more shots, sneaking in more days. No, we love to shoot. We What's really special is that we have a very experimental relationship. Both of us just really want, we come up with our plan, but both of us really want to try shit and find shit. And I think you more than anybody, Lisa, would know that actors are artists and you can't really play. You find the best stuff the further in you're going. 
And then it's getting really good when the plans are going out the window. So I'm not the kind of filmmaker. And that's, I think, the part of me that struggles a little bit is that filmmaking is really regimented. There are some very hardcore systems that you must, protocols you must follow. You've got to make your days. Mm -hmm. There are rules. There are regulations. There are laws. And I sometimes, I just want to be feral and run around naked and do weird shit and see what we discover. So there's Mm -hmm. two sides of myself always battling you know though yeah for sure yeah and then the like wild artist that just wants to see what happens that's kind of what my approach when i'm helping somebody cast something by the way the casting is incredible your casting director lisa zagoria she put together an incredible constellation of people to orbit around you but that's something that i try when i'm working with indie filmmakers it's like okay there's what's on the page But what's on the page is like just this tiny tip of a gigantic iceberg that you don't even know is there yet. And it's only when you start working it. And that's why, you know, somebody, a role that you may have written one way, it's like, let me try this other actor in this. I know it's not at all what you were thinking, but let's just see what it does to the material, you know? So the characters on the page, how much did they change on the page to what ended up on screen? Because you have some real, I'm going to shout out a couple of your actors that I'm just in love with, but go ahead. I really view my own scripts as a blueprint. It's just a guide. You learn the most when you read it. And then from there, you step in. You as an artist, as, an, as a woman or man or human with your own life experiences and opinions and artistry, step in and fill in the blanks. I'm not loyal to my own scripts at all. A lot of my favorite movies, I mean, moments in this movie are improvised. I love to improv. And I think the dance that happens when two actors are there to create something and it takes on a life of its own, that to me is the more interesting stuff than, than the screenwriting. Because I write my screenplays alone, you know, mm. they're one dimensional in a way. They're from my own life. It's so much cooler when people bring their own life experiences and try shit. And, you know, when June Diane slaps me, that was script that was coming and it's one of my favorite moments in the movie a lot of santino stuff is improvised fuck that guy man he's better than he deserves to be fuck that guy for real he is so good he is so talented i he would just i would have to hide on his coverage i would have to cover my face reading with him because i would was trying so hard not to ruin his take his sound of his take because I'd be laughing so hard because he's just that good. Yeah. So it's very exciting. I feel like the creative decision that you make is hiring the right actors and then letting them run free and fly. Right. So Andrew Santino, who's a very renowned stand-up, plays your brother. He also was literally, I think, the best thing in I'm Dying Up Here, which is such a great series if you haven't watched it. I think it went under the radar, but it's just an incredible, incredible show. And of course, he's got his podcast, which... I, I tune into, but I quickly have to tune out of because I cringe so much. I send myself into a spasm. You know, he, he's so dirty and he's, you know, very edgy, but I love him. And he's such a good actor. He's just so great at listening. And so the two of you as siblings, also I'm partial to red haired people in general, but because I had red hair for so long, as you know. But anyway, you guys just really pinged off of each other so beautifully. And I'm imagining that he was an offer. I'm imagining that you didn't read with many of these actors. They were just like offer, offer, offer. Cause you know, yep. oh, it's kind of a risk. I mean, do, did you know him before or? I knew his work from Dave and I was, we had given him an offer 
And he was sitting on it. He was not reading it. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And my friend kind of knew him. Right. And he was playing stand-up that night in L.A. And I was like, we're going. And I'm like, at his ass. And I yeah. pulled him after his set. And I was like, you need to do my movie. You haven't read my script. And I'm waiting. <laughs> and we are doing, we are in pre-production. And I need you to just say yes. And you need to come do my movie. And I literally said to him, I was like, I have red hair. You have red hair. We're <laughs> and he goes, you're a fake and a phony. We know our kind. We can spawn each other a mile away. I love it. I love it. There, there are lots of great, I'm going to shout out. So plan your parents. So as an indie casting director, I would look at those parents. And I'm like, okay, we need the anchor. This is where you're probably going to spend some money on anchoring the dad role and the mom role. And I love that you cast the beautiful Laura Saron. She's just such a heart of this movie. She's beautiful. And, and oh. just, I just love that you cast her as the mom. And then you cast Clancy Brown. Oh. You know, who can be very, he plays a lot of bad guys. And in this, he's not really a bad guy, but he's a tough dad. Yeah. Yep. You want to talk yeah. about those, that parental dynamic? It's a tough one because obviously they're modeling my real parents. And the one thing I knew was that I, I wanted an immigrant to play the mom because my mom is an immigrant. And the immigrant experience is really specific. And even though she was quite young when she moved to America from Mexico, um, Laura just like really understood the connection and she doesn't actually have kids herself. Mm -hmm. There was like such a, a maternal quality. She's quite young too, but she just, I just, she holds me and hugs me and I just feel at home. She, mm. her, her beautiful spirit and vibrancy felt like my real mom. I wrote her a love letter to try to get her to do the film. Like you said, there, this is not, a, these are at this level, they're not auditioning. Yeah. And I don't need them to, you mm -hmm. know? Being an actor myself, I'm like, I don't need you to read for me. I just want to watch your work. I want to, I would love to meet with you. I would love to just vibe. And I would love to just write to you and tell you what my heart is and what my vision is. And they'll tell me if that they don't want to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. The actor knows if they want to do something or not. And so they did. And Clancy was maybe the hardest role to cast. Mm -hmm. Really difficult. Lauda was my only offer for the mom. Because I was so specific and I'm so glad she said yes. But Clancy was so hard because what I figured out, if you're ever casting a dad <laughs> in any project and you're looking for someone namey like that, men in that category have nothing to prove. Yeah, exactly. And they know their number. They know what the, what's going to get them out of bed. And they know that they are a limited, you know, quantity. I mean, you know, Clancy's going to be on the same list as like Craig T. And, you know, there's like, you know, a certain list. And so they must really, they have to love the script. And also, and what your casting director did so brilliantly is like, this isn't really a role that he normally would do. He would yeah. play. He's known as being the bad guy, you know? And so for him to play this, which requires so much more sensitivity, I bet that was really attractive to him. You know, also he had done Promising Young Woman with a female, first time female director. So he, and he said it to me, he goes, I love these. <laughs> I love that. I guess he was saying these smaller films by first time, these passion projects of young women. And I remember Lisa was like, I think we can get him because he's rich from SpongeBob. Yeah. <laughs> he not have any money for him, but like he has money. He just and needs Shawshank, for God's sakes. He must be like, build a boat out of all that money. But anyway, that's awesome. He was wonderful and warm in it. And I love that. We have to shout out our friend, Adam Rodriguez. 
He plays Agent Luke Alves on Criminal Minds. I was just emailing him this morning saying how wonderful it was to see his beautiful face pop up again in a role. He doesn't usually play the bad boy. And so it's really wonderful to see him come pop up as one of your former, you know, hookups. And so you want to talk about Adam a little bit? Yeah. I mean, this was one of those cases. You helped me with this one, Lisa. This was one of those cases where I realized, and any filmmakers out there, I want them to know this, that it really does matter when you're a first-time feature director, especially a woman, who you know, like, and on a human level, like, have you met them ever? Have you ever had any sort of interaction with them? Suddenly you become a real human in their head and not an email in their agent's inbox. Yes. And a lot of the people that are in this film were actors that I have worked with. I knew from work and, and Adam I had worked with. And you're, you start going through your past as an actor. And Henry Zabrowski, who are the actors that I can reach out to myself mm -hmm. and say, Hey, remember we did that thing together. I'm, I love you. I want you to come do my movie now. And it's really hard when you're going to agents, managers, casting directors sometimes because casting, all of it, because everyone, there's, everyone has these sort of overlords and these guardians that are protecting them yeah. and are there to bring them good offers, not like tiny indie films that aren't going to make them much money with first time female directors. It's just, it's not an attractive project necessarily. And it was so funny because I, was, I had this very specific vision for Sterling, the role that Adam played. I really wanted a Latino guy. I'm Latina myself. I really wanted him to be just like drop dead obnoxiously handsome. We were like, I'll pay for the Thai food tonight because you're just that gorgeous. He can't afford Thai, but like <laughs> fine. And I was getting reels. Lisa was sending me reels. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really seeing it. I felt like Michael Bay. I'm like, where are the hot guys? <laughs> like, show me all the hottest guys <laughs> in Hollywood. It was really gross. But I had, you know, I needed to sell that. And I remember, this is so sad. This is so sad for this actor. But this actor submits a reel. And he's a guest star on Criminal Minds. And it's a scene. And I'm like, yeah, he's cute. And then Adam Rodriguez comes out and I go, that's who we got. I'm yep. like, we need to get Adam Rodriguez. And so I wrote him this email reminding him that we had worked together. We had a mutual friend from his childhood. And he oh just, yes. so it ended. But I'm telling you, it's the difference of having worked with them even for a day or having hung out with them at a bar or hung out with them at a birthday party. And then you can at least say, hey. We've met in person. You're awesome. I'm not just a robot somewhere across the city. Exactly. It's all about connections. We want to work. We don't want to work with jerks. You know, we want to. Okay. That's In some ways, that's kind of why those gatekeepers are there, because we want to work with good people and not people who are just trying to fucking, you know, work us. You know what I mean? But the last actor I just want to mention before I'm going to that I'm going to turn to asking you about how the project came to be is somebody who probably doesn't get shouted out a lot. But V Kumari who I also cast on Criminal Minds, but she is an older actress. She also just took my, I, I teach an acting for video games class and she came in and she took it and she was like running around being like a space robot vixen and she's just so wonderful and it was so nice to see her. She plays your kind of nosy neighbor who's kind of a little bit judgy or you perceive her as being judgy and then you end up having some really interesting connections with her. Do you want to talk about casting V? That was a top one. You know, I, again, sometimes when you're a director, 
you can be very open in certain roles. Like you're talking about, I'm going to throw this actor at this director. It's a completely different interpretation of the role. I'm usually quite open to that. You know, I'm usually open to some offbeat choices because that's where magic could happen. But in this specific role, I was so I was so loyal to this vision I had in my head. And it was really hard to find. It was really hard to find because I wanted somebody who sort of had a resting bitch face a little bit that like you're not doing much and you just feel judged by her. But in the end, has this like warmth and this maternal quality and needs to be able to do a lot with very few lines. And somebody that's willing to kind of be there a lot, have quite a bit to shoot and not much dialogue. And so V's amazing. She's a doctor. She's a mom. She was a professor for many, many, many years. She's like, so no bullshit. She was like, I think I'll be a Hollywood actress now. Smaller <laughs> move. Oh my God. Or like, I think I'll try acting now. <laughs> and there was something really kind of so intelligent about her and confident about someone who's newer to acting. And I just, it was really her look and her essence mm-hmm. that I just was like, this is who it is. Yeah. And then I got a little bit of pushback. Because there were more experienced actors available to me. But I just, it, that was one of those chances I took. That I just, yeah. in my heart, she's it. You're taking a chance on her the same way people took a chance on you too, you know, I, in some ways. And you have to open those doors for people. You have to. How are they going to? Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So the hard questions are, how did this script go from your laptop to being at the AMC theater in Culver City the other night? I mean, what was that journey? I don't even know if you can even tell us all the behind the scenes things, because to be honest with you, I was coaching an actor last night and I was saying how I'd seen this great movie. And she's like, wait, I know I have heard about that movie. I heard that, the, you know, the writer is so amazing and that they didn't even want her to play her own part. You know, I don't know. If, sorry if y'all are listening from like, okay. I mean, I'm just going to mention that. And if you want to talk about that journey, is it like a Sylvester Stallone Rocky journey where they loved the property, but they wanted to get Yvonne Strahovski to play the lead. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm very open about the journey and I haven't gotten in trouble yet. So I'm going to just keep running my mouth until somebody comes along and tells me to shut up. But the journey kind of began, of course, with the actual egg freezing and me going through that process. But as and I thought maybe I'll write a movie, but I was so bloated and just like on my couch eating Doritos, not wanting to work watching films and desperately searching on Google, where is the movie about egg freezing, finding nothing but IVF journeys with couples, not dissimilar to yours, your true life journey, Mm -hmm. and feeling very much like this doesn't reflect me at all. You know, I don't have two twin boys and a husband. (laughs) Like, it's just me and I don't even know if or when I will have kids. And so it made me feel even more isolated by the fact that this didn't, wasn't represented in cinema at all. So I started jotting down notes. I started jotting down scenes just while in between these bouts of feeling just completely disgusting. But then as soon as I had the surgery and felt really good about it, I was sort of swept back into my life as a studio writer and the assignments and the deadlines. And, and what does that mean, a studio writer, for people who don't know? Yeah, I write movies for the studios. I write movie. I have movies at Sony and Paramount and new line and all that so when you're working for for the studios on that level you have deadlines and you're con- you're in a 
you're in development, you're in a constant process of taking notes, receiving notes, implementing notes, pitching, you know, reworking. And, you know, you don't get, it's just like homework. You don't get to miss your deadline. Your, your babies, your passion projects kind of have to come after all of the work that's on your plate. So I obviously had a lot of work that was on my plate. I'd taken a couple weeks off and I needed to get back to work. And after a year of working my butt off, I mean, I'd been working my butt off all in one day. I'm telling you, it was the very beginning of 2022. It started out beautifully. And in one day it was announced. The world knew the same time I knew Paramount Players which was a, a wing of Paramount, where I was, had, been, had just been hired to direct my first studio film. A script that I had written was now gone. Mm -hmm. And the franchise, the Grease prequel that I had been writing for two and a half years was killed. Mm -hmm. I found out in one day that the two projects that I, had, that I was most excited about were just completely gone. And, and I just felt... I was absolutely devastated because I thought I have done everything right. Like I have met all of my deadlines. I have missed a lot of family stuff and friend stuff. I have done free work. I have been a team player. I have fought. I have done the impossible. I have received contradicting notes that somehow <laughs> found the soul of right. them. I have done it all. And for what? For what? Like, I don't have anything to show for these years of work. I'm done doing this. I'm not doing this anymore. And I cried for like a week and I sat with my team. We had a meeting and I cried on the Zoom and I just said, I can't do this. I need to, sh to, to make a goddamn movie this year or I'll die. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take a month off. I'm going to write that film about freezing my eggs and we're going to shoot it this summer. I will do it for my money. I have a little bit of money that I can pay myself. I've made a movie at that level before. I'll cast my friends. Mm -hmm. I don't give a fuck. I'm making a movie this summer. My team was like, all right, let's go. But please, when you finish writing the script, please give us two months where we can do what we do, which is send it around. We don't want you to make your first feature at a shoestring, shoestring budget. We like love that that's where you come from and you're not afraid, but like we would like to get you a little more money. We'd like to get you some big kids to guide you through this process. I said, you have two months. <laughs> I'm making it with my friends. And so they, you know, I, the one thing that I demanded, I mean, I made a lot of demands. And I think that's what you do when you have nothing else to lose. Mm -hmm. When you're in a place of rebellion and a, in a place of devastation and you're like, I've played, I've been the nice girl. I've been the good girl. I'm done being the good girl. I'm going to do it how I want to do it. So I was like, I'm going to write this and I'm going to direct this and I'm going to star in this and I'm not taking notes. Those were my demands. <laughs> Whoever gets on board and then I'm shooting it this summer. I'm not going into development and I'm not selling it to a studio. So don't even sell it. Don't even show it to Netflix because I'm not selling it. I'm not going. I know what, how that goes because I've got 8 million movies in the studio system dying and unable to make it to green light. So why would I go right back there? You know, I have 8 million movies that Emma Stone can be in like this one I'm going to be in. And so I went through a process of meetings and it, and like whoever this was that you were speaking to, she's right. I had a few meetings where I felt like it was a bait and switch where they would just kind of pump me up. Oh, the script, you're so amazing. We're such a fan. You were such a fan of yours. We've always wanted to work with you. 
who are we going to cast? And I said, I'm, we're casting me. So when you say you're having meetings and you don't want it to be at the studio, these meetings are with like production companies, but not studios. Yes. Yes. So producers get movies made. Producers get financing. Producers pull a movie together. Studios distribute films. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, it's all, you know, everybody works together. And sometimes producers will make a movie and then go try to sell it to a studio. So there's many ways. That's why, you know, you go to the top festivals because that's where people acquire independent titles. And that's how it ends up on Netflix or it ends up being distributed by, you know, whoever, 24. Um, So what I was saying was I don't want to sell my movie because if I sell my movie, they own my movie. And they can make all those decisions. They can make all the decisions. They can kill it tomorrow. They can decide that was cute, but you're not going to star in it. And I just said, I'm not going to do it. I want to make my film completely independently. That's the only way that I can control it and make sure it gets made because I cannot have another film getting killed. So I met with a bunch of producers, a few of them, one of them saying, I have the financing. We have financiers. We can fully finance it. We can't wait to support you in your directorial debut, but you, we think it's, it makes no sense for you to star. And I, again, crying on the call with my team going, why are they lying and saying that they're okay with all of these things in order to meet with me, only to con- try and convince me and dissuade me from starring in my film that is about my life? You know, it, and then you start to think, Maybe I'm that bad at acting. Like maybe I'm that bad at that maybe I'm delusional and I'm fooling myself because the effort that is going into pushing me off screen, they wouldn't put in this effort if I was good. So you it requires a lot of self-love and no, it's not about you being good. You know that. It's about being bankable. It's sure. about your star meter on fucking I am. Deep pro or whatever it is, you know, I get it because I've had those conversations and they're so hard, but you kept going. So who ended up being your partners? So ultimately, Megamix, which was Jonathan Levine's company, he's a director. He does. He my favorite Jonathan Levine movie is 5050, the movie about cancer with Seth Rogen and Mm -hmm. Jim. Love it. And he's done long shot. He's done all kinds of amazing movies, but he's a big director. He got a deal with Lionsgate. It's called a first look deal. He hired his right hand, his partner in it is Jillian Bohr, who used to run Lionsgate. She was co-president. And they started a company together where they produce films. And they said that they were looking, one of their mandates for themselves was we want to usher in first-time filmmakers that we believe in and give them that first, you know, that first boost and stand behind them to help them make their first movie the way that people had done for Jonathan. And I'm, you know, I was quite defensive. I was like, are you sure? Are you, are you telling, I'm going to start on this. You know that they're like, we know. And I'm, we know. And they, and Julianne said, I've never, I mean, she did La La Land. She did the Twilight franchise. franchise. I was like, you know that like, I'm ready to shoot this for 200 grand this summer if we don't get any more money. Mm -hmm. Because I've never made a movie that way, but I know that you have. And I'm here to figure it out with you. Like, no matter what, whether all we have is my own money, we're going to make it this summer. And that was all I needed was somebody like Jillian being like, let's fucking go. Like one way or another, we've just committed to doing this together this summer. 
And then miraculously, money started coming in. A mentor of mine, Marty Bowen, who's the head of Temple Hill, he's from Fort Worth. He went to Harvard. He's a big deal. He started raising money for me out of his Texan dudes. We start, money starts coming in. It's happening. We have enough to make the movie. We are required to show it to Lionsgate. Required because they have a first look deal. It's just a legal obligation. Jillian sends it to Lionsgate, says, please pass on this. It's not a Lionsgate movie. She knows what a Lionsgate movie is. And this is after it's already shot. You mean that they No, we are casting. We are, oh, okay. we are like three weeks from shooting. We're already locking down locations. I mean, it's happening, right? And she says, please just pass on this. It's not a Lionsgate movie. We're making it in a few weeks. You know, you're not going to want to have anything to do with this anyway. So just please <laughs> give us a pass. We're, we have to legally, ob we're legally obligated to show it to you. Lionsgate says, please hold. I did not know, but a lot of women at Lionsgate have frozen their eggs because they cover it. And a lot of powerful women at Lionsgate have frozen their eggs. Whoa, because the they cover it. Cover it at Lionsgate. And there's a big boss there that when women get hired, she brings them into their, her office and she goes, I want to tell you that we cover egg freezing. I don't know if you've thought of egg freezing, but I would highly suggest you look into it because we, you should do it. While you are here, if it's something you want to do, because a lot of people don't cover it and we do. So it was kind of this epic place to send this egg freezing comedy. They ran numbers and they offered us more money than we had to make the movie. Not a lot, but it was more. Mm -hmm. And I was reluctant because I was like, is this a, tri mm -hmm. is this a trick? Are they going to? And it wasn't a trick. They let me make the movie I wanted to make. They stayed out of the tough stuff. They leaned in when I needed them. We premiered at South by. Then I went on strike. And then by the grace of God, they decided to take a big swing with it and put it in theaters. So that is the entire journey. Oh, my God. That's incredible. The studios broke my fart and then Lionsgate put it back together. And That's renewed amazing. my oh, good, Good for you. Good for them. And so we're how... Where is it going to, what's the distro right now? Like, where is it going to be? 800 screens. So 800, 800 theaters. So it's, you know, it's still considered a limited, but it's way wider. Let me tell you, my first film had like 15 cities. Oh my so, gosh, that's incredible. And it's definitely a movie that is so, it's going to be really important for you to see with your gal pals and your guy pals and your mom and your sister and all the women in your life who at some point are going to, go through this i'm so impressed by what I, am i supposed to say impressed i guess i'm not supposed to say you can you never you did oh, this i know you <laughs> i'm so just i'm elated for you because i know how hard this journey has been i, I mean i knew it when i saw it i was like how the fuck did she do this i can't even believe it and Crazy. you know i think a typical question we're going to wrap up here but is to say, oh, Leah, what's next for Leah McKendrick? And I'm not going to ask you that because I hope what's next is you're taking a nap, you know, or you're having, a, a, you know, a but I'm sure that you probably are thinking about things like, what do you want to, what do you want to focus on? Not like what's next for you? What is your push to do? What's the next biggest, biggest, biggest thing? And you're just pushed to do more and more and more when you've just literally delivered a baby <laughs> metaphorically. But like, what, what is important for you right now to do? You know, I've kind of, in some ways, I'm, I'm retiring in some ways from the life of a studio writer. For all the reasons that I just shared, I just, I can't do that. You know, I, I came here to make movies. 
And being a writer in some ways feels powerless to me. Similarly to acting alone, I felt so powerless that someone like me, I just need a little bit more control. I just need a little bit more autonomy. So now I've sort of made the decision with my team that if you want me to write your script, you have to be ready for me to direct it too. Like I'm a package deal. Mm -hmm. I, I think if nothing else, I have shown from my film that I am not interested in staying in one lane. And being, especially being forced in one lane because I felt like when I became a writer that everybody wanted to pretend I wasn't an actor and that I had never acted. And I was like, I have a degree in acting. I started as an actor. I was able to, I was making my living as an actor before I, I got this, you know, very lovely, unexpected writing career. But I hope that people know that I'm a package deal. I'm going to want to be in my movies. Maybe not star, you know, maybe not always star. Maybe sometimes I won't be in them, but the point is that I, I can't just write babies and send them off to be born and birthed right. by other mothers and fathers. I, it's, I'm going to hold on to my babies now. Absolutely. You're not only a package deal, you're the real deal. I mean, people are going to see your, your acting in this league is incredible. You're going to get all the offers now. Are you kidding? Emma Stone oh, so. is going to be like crying in her little, you know, kept Mac Macchino latte saying, wait, my career has been taken over by Leah McKendrick. I'm so happy that you came on to share all of that and you really didn't hold back. I'm thank you so much. And I really know there are people listening right now who really needed to hear what you had to say and, you know, who for like you, for them, this is what my life is. This is what I want to do. And it's can you can just get really distracted and feel beaten down and be crying in your pillow. And so I think that you probably hopefully have given people a lot of hope that you have to keep working. You have to keep being undeniable. It's like stand in your power. Yes. My college professor said at Chapman, I didn't understand what he was talking about when he said it, but I really understand it now. He said, it was Thomas Braddock. He said, please, people, one of these days determine what you're worth. And I think about that a lot when I'm up against something where I'm needing to compromise or I'm needing to give something up. And most days I just say, I'm worth more than this. And I'm not going to, you know, and I think that guided me. I but that. also I want to say, Lisa, there have been some real angels in my career, truly some angels, and you have been one of them. And being an actor is not for the faint of heart. Being an actor, especially when I was an actor and you and I met, Having someone believe in you when it feels like you're the only one that believes in you. I'm going to cry just looking at your face. Sorry. <laughs> no, we're really like, it's interesting because you have this career as a filmmaker and the world treats you differently. Like the town treats you differently when you're a filmmaker. Suddenly people take your call. Suddenly people want to catch up. But when you're an actor, they treat you like a bottom feeder. They treat you because they think you have no power. So when somebody like you stand, uses your clout and stands behind you and champions you, you, suddenly you think, maybe I'm worthy of being championed. Maybe I have something within me. If Lisa can see it, then maybe it actually is there. So it's very significant to me, and it made all the difference in me, your belief in me. So I'm so grateful to be here today to talk about it with you. Oh, my God, sweetie. I love you. I've championed you even when you didn't know I was. But And yeah. so many people... So many people do. All right, I'm going to let you go. You're killing it. Everybody go see Scrambled. You will thank me. And for now, this is Killer Casting signing off.
Thank you, love. If there's anything I can do to help you, let me know. 